We believe the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a restoration of the original Church established by Jesus Christ, which was built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We declare to the world that the fullness of the gospel has been restored to the earth. We declare with boldness that the keys of the priesthood have been restored to man. We declare to the world that this is the day referred to by biblical prophets as the latter days. It is the final time before the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to rule and reign on the earth. So this week we kind of get a break from Doctrine and Covenants since we've been at it for so long, a whole, a whole section. Whole section in, and we're jumping to Pearly Great Price. Uh, but this is all to set up the context of Doctrine and Covenants, I think. And it's kind of hard to talk about the restoration of the church and everything that's happening in DNC without understanding the first vision and Joseph Smith's kind of background story. It's his origin story, right? <laughs> um, and I, I thought it'd be a good idea if we kind of broke up this story into three parts. And it really kind of lends itself to that. But one being the investigation, one being the vision itself, and the other being the aftermath. And what I mean by that is the investigation. He has a he starts to realize that he has a problem. And then what does he do about it? And then the vision itself, what happens in that vision? What does it mean? And then in the aftermath, what does he do with that new information that he got during the vision? And where does he go with that now that he has it? And I think by breaking it down that way, it's going to help us kind of understand how that can apply to us as as we seek for answers and as we try to resolve doubts that we have, how can we kind of apply some of these same things that he did in these three areas to, to better understand our Heavenly Father and his will for us. So really, I mean, to start off, Joseph's surrounded by religious fervor, right? Uh, the way he describes it, it seems like everyone's kind of trying to find, figure out where they're going to be. Preachers are competing for for people, for converts, and the people are trying to kind of show each other, hey, this is what, this is why I chose this, and this one's better, and they're all, it's like a big competition of of religions. He, I think, what he starts to notice is that they all claim to have the truth, but they all disagree about a lot of things. And that's where he's kind of like, how can it be that everyone's claiming to have the truth, and yet there's so much disagreement? Yeah, I think um, for me, I, I I thought, first of all, I thought about the restoration proclamation that we recently received. Yeah. And um, it outlines kind of the steps you mentioned there. And it's interesting because... We always, one of the main questions we all ask ourselves, and especially investigators, people searching for the truth ask themselves, is if there is one God, why are there so many different churches? And not just that there's different ones, why do they fight with each other? And I think that was one of the main things that troubled Joseph Smith, was this contention. Like, because he lived with these people, he knew them, yet they would contend with each other. And if, and, and oftentimes, well, all the time, that contention is not the same feeling or message you get when you read the scriptures, you know. Um, when you, when Jesus Christ, when he, in the New Testament, when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, you know. Uh, if, if, if your brother smite you, turn the other cheek, you know. Why is the contention in all of these other religions not in accordance to that? And and I think slowly all of these thoughts kept brewing in his mind and kind of preparing him to have a desire to really want to know. And and one of the things I value of Joseph Smith is one, he he was curious and he had questions, but he wasn't fault finding. And he wasn't doubting. You know what I mean? Like, like, I think sometimes our Heavenly Father isn't offended by our questions. He isn't offended that we have 
um, curiosity, that we want to know why. But he is, he does not like us not to have faith. And th there's two ways of handling it that I've noticed, at least for me, is if, if I have questions and I'm honest about it, and my intention isn't to justify my feelings or to justify my current actions, if I truly have a question and I'm willing to accept the answer and change my life, I find that I receive answers or I'm led to answers, you know. But when I'm looking for a question or I'm looking for an answer that justifies my current way of thinking, hmm. like it's, it's, I don't know, it's a really personal thing because you really have to examine yourself and be completely honest. And I think that's what Joseph wanted when he when he asked the question, when he wanted to know, he honestly wanted, he expected an answer that said, join that church, join this one. That was his expectation. And I think his desire to really know was what enabled Heavenly Father to tell him, the truth is, I'm sorry, don't join any of them. Yeah, I... I look at verse 6 of the, the chapter, and it says, For notwithstanding the great love which the converts to these different faiths expressed at the time of their conversion, and the great zeal manifested by the respective clergy, who were active in getting up and promoting this extraordinary scene of religious feeling in order to have everyone, everybody converted, as they were pleased to call it, let them join what sect they pleased. Yet when the converts began to file off, some to one party and some to another, it was seen that the seemingly good feelings of both the priests and the converts were more pretended than real. For a scene of great confusion and bad feeling ensued, priests contending against priests and convert against converts, so that all their good feelings, one for another, if they ever had any, were entirely lost in a strife of words and a contest about opinions. And that's why he was like, okay, I just need to know which one. He was so willing. He, I, I, yeah, you're right. When he went to go and ask, I don't think he was like, okay, I want to start a church, <laughs> you know? He, he didn't go into that saying, I, I want to start my own because I don't agree with any of these people and I don't like them. He went in saying, I need to know which of all this is right because it's getting really nasty out there and I'm confused. And at that age, I mean, you're, you're still trying to figure yourself out. You're still trying to figure out what your ideals are and all that. And I think that he was trying to say, I need guidance. And unfortunately, everyone is just as confused as I am. So I think it was really kind of a good situation for him to be able to ask in all that, in all that confusion where does he go for the for the question right i think also one one thing that last year the saints volume the first saints volume does a really good job the initial chapters going through kind of the the life of joseph and in more details kind of like how his father was a very uh, they would say a God-fearing man, but he didn't attend the churches, you know, on Sunday. He he was kind of put off by all the contention and all of that stuff, you know. And and his mom and and, and later on in the lesson we'll read some some quotes of the kind of the kind of express their own search for truth. Yeah. And um, one of the things that in the Saints volume that I learned that I found really interesting was that. We often refer to this as the first vision. And to Joseph Smith, at no time was that ever in his mind. This is the first vision. And for him, it, it wasn't until later and through various means that he's accounted for the different uh, accounts of the first vision. I think there are six or seven different accounts of the first vision they all vary a little bit because there's different details and they also vary depending on the audience he speaks it's really interesting because i've often in my mind i often look at the the restoration and and i always saw this and thought oh wow like he went back to his room and he wrote all this down and he, he didn't this was years later yeah and i think that a lot of people start to to question the validity of it or of his story when there's variation in it. And like you said, it depended on who he was talking to and what he was emphasizing about what happened to him, that it was slightly different. And I don't know, to me, it's like, 
when it comes down to it, you're either going to believe that this really happened to him or not. And the only way to know is to ask God also. Because, you know, you can say, well, I can nitpick this and this and that. But if you get a testimony from the Spirit confirming to you that this is real, that this happened, maybe the little those little details don't matter so much. One of the things I find interesting is how the restoration of the Aaronic priesthood has no date. And the restoration of the Mechizer priesthood has a date. And and it's and to which Joseph was chastised for not being a good record keeper. Yeah. We just know in the spring of certain time, you know, that uh, but the actual date of when John the Baptist restored the Aaronic priest. And I often thought if if this is all made up, how easy would it be to throw a date in there? You know? <laughs> like and, and to throw little things like if if you're really trying to be a master of deception. And can write a book and spin a yarn like the Book of Mormon, <laughs> which is there's all sorts of people who have studied it from an academic point of view to say this couldn't be done by one person, you know, especially this person at this time with his. You know, anyway. And that's not the point. I'm not trying to get into like proofs, but I always think about that. I think it's in the imperfections that I think I find comfort. You know, if everything was watertight, perfect, I would be very skeptical because that's that's the opposite of what the Lord has said, how he's going to bring this marvelous work in a wonder. Right. He's going to bring it through the weak things, you know, through through the small, simple means. And that begins with a farm boy who is fairly uneducated, fairly normal, but he has a wonderful family. And he has a desire that continues to grow for what is the truth. And, and it even says at the beginning, I was always interested in like the welfare of my soul. As ordinary as the circumstances are, and, and in some aspects he is, he's also very un extraordinary in the sense that he's concerned about these things. You know, he wants to know more. One of the things in the in the lesson it uh, under the section why are there various accounts of the first vision it gives us that we can go to gospel topics and it has further information and there's a paragraph in here that says joseph smith published two accounts of the first vision during his lifetime the first of these known today as joseph smith history was canonized in the pearl Gate price and thus became the best known account the two unpublished accounts recorded in Joseph Smith's earliest, earliest autobiographies and a later journal were generally forgotten until historians working for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints rediscovered and published them in the 1960s. Since that time, these documents have been discussed repeatedly in church magazines, in works printed by church-owned and church-affiliated presses, and by Latter-day Saint scholars and other venues. In addition to the first-hand accounts, there are also five descriptions of Joseph Smith's vision recorded by his contemporaries. The various accounts of the first vision tell a consistent story. Though naturally they differ in emphasis and detail, historians expect that when an individual retells an experience in multiple settings to different audiences over many years, each account will emphasize various aspects of the experience and contain unique details. Indeed, differences similar to those of the first vision account exist in multiple scripture accounts of Paul's vision on the road to Damascus and the apostles' experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yet, despite the differences, a basic consistency remains across all accounts of the first vision. Some have mistakenly argued that any variances in the retelling of the story is evidence of fabrication. To the contrary, the rich historical record enables us to learn more about this remarkable bit than we could if we, we were less well-documented. One of the things that I liked about that is it reminded me of this gentleman who told us once that the first vision is the best record we ever have of God the Father and the Son. Of who they are, how they appear, what they look like, especially of God the Father. He's he's caught up in all this confusion because of, I think also he trusted a lot of the people that we're giving him advice and we're trying to give him guidance. You know, these preachers and stuff, I think he had a, he had respect for them, 
And so as they were teaching and then someone else would teach something else and maybe talk bad about the other guy, that, that caused a lot of confusion for him. And I started thinking about our, our, our situation today and how there's kind of a lot of confusion with ideologies out there. And a lot of philosophies and ideologies of men can cause confusion because they're flawed and they're selfish and they're often pretty exclusive. And that's just not the way the gospel is. The gospel isn't like that. And so just like Joseph, we have to try and seek out the signal of the spirit through all that noise that's around us. People saying, this is the way you should think. This is the way you should think. This is, you should look at the world this way or that way. And it's like, okay, there's, there's some truth to that, but what does the Lord want for me? What does the Lord want me to do? How should I see things through the lens of the gospel? How can I make that my lens instead of so-and-so's thoughts or so-and-so's party or so-and-so's whatever? How can I make the gospel my focus? And so as he's doing that, I think we learn, we also see that just wondering about it and just thinking about it isn't enough. He went to all kinds of revivals. He went to different churches. He attended, right? He went and sought it out. He studied. He read the scriptures. He pondered them and he prayed a lot. And it wasn't just handed to him. The answers weren't just handed to him, you know, like, oh, yeah, here you go. Um, he kind of had to work for it. And in verse 9, he says, My mind at times was greatly excited. The cry and the tumult were so great and incessant. You know, even he recognizes that I got I got worked up about some of this stuff, too. I got really excited about so-and-so's really good and uplifting sermon. Or maybe it's one that just kind of gets you going. You're, like, excited about it. But he he was calm enough to not allow the loudest and the strongest argument to confuse him. He was able to listen, to take his time, to internalize it, and then see if that coincided with the scriptures he was reading and stuff like that. I think a lot of times when we look for answers to our biggest questions or maybe even, you know, trials that we're facing, we want immediate results. We want to be able to say, well, I prayed and I had faith, so where's my answer? Or I open the scriptures at random. I've heard people do that and then they read the first scripture and it's the answer to their prayer. You know, and it's like, that's not how that works. 99.99% of the time, this is a process and it's somewhat burdensome and you kind of have to earn those answers. And of course, there are definitely situations where the first prayer you get an answer or you do happen to drop the scriptures and they open to an answer. I'm not going to say that's not possible. With God, anything is possible. But most of the time, if it's something that you really are working through, it's going to take some work. Yeah. I think I think like you mentioned, if all we need is an answer, and God has the answers, then why doesn't He just tell us everything we need to do? <laughs> yeah. You know? But if His purpose isn't just to tell us what to do, it's to help us become something. You know, it's to help us grow. Then it makes a little bit more sense the way He works with us, that He will allow us to use our agency if we're it, it's like if your children if you're like a helicopter parent you're always hovering around your kid and every time they go to do something you just oh let me let me help you let me do and they can never exercise and do their own thing one they're not really going to be prepared they're going to have a checklist of great things you've helped them do <laughs> school projects and all these other things but if they don't start learning how to do things for themselves it's in a way you're not doing them a service, a great service. Oftentimes we want our Heavenly Father to micromanage us. And I think we don't really think that through when we're wanting solutions. And that's where we have to keep the end in mind. We have to be, keep the perspective that this life is meant to have good and evil. It's meant to allow us to use our agency in our bodies and to learn why these principles of the gospel are true, and not only true now, but are true for all of the eternities. And and I that's something that helps me that I think of when I think about why doesn't God just do this? Why doesn't he stop bad things from happening? Why doesn't he just tell me what I need to do? Uh, here I have a bunch of choices. And one is we have the first thing we need to start with, I think, is we need to start with the framework of the gospel. And in that framework are like the gospel principles. We should align, you know, it's almost like a filter to our decisions. 
do they fit inside gospel principles? And that can help us weed out some definitely bad decisions, right? And then how do how do I filter it more to my specific situation? Well, Which, and that, that you're describing is not easy to do. Yeah. That's a skill, right? And that takes practice to get good at it. And it's not something that we're all born with being able to do. Sometimes it, it like you were saying earlier, it takes some honest self-reflection and being able to say, I... It, I really want this to work out, but does it? You know, does this really go along with the teachings of the gospel? And that I, takes I, some skill. It really does. And and I think we also don't realize that the Lord can tell us at one point something that is correct, and another situation that same commandment or or that same principle doesn't apply. There's, for example, like the proverb: "There's a season and time under heaven." Right for everything a time to love a time to die a time to kill you know all those things and just like nephi there's a time to keep the commandments thou shall not kill and then there's a time to you need to take laban's head yeah and i think for us i i find it really interesting that our beloved prophet president nelson a few months ago told us the best thing we can do right now is take a media fast a social media fast and a couple months later he says I think we should all go on social media and express our gratitude. <laughs> you could almost look at those things as opposing advice. You know, you could you could just listen to the first one and say, let's say I told you all along, social media is bad, delete it from, no one's having an iPhone, everybody, in my family, we're not even having the internet. That's how righteous we are, you know? <laughs> and you could look at the other one and say, oh, I told you, we should be on there posting every day. But both of those without using the spirit and without using and trying to understand the meaning the principles of what he's saying to us one he's saying when we feel overly bombarded from this tool we need to take a break and the other one is if we have a tool ensure you use it properly use it for what you didn't think you could use it for sharing the gospel that that thing that was stressing you out can actually be totally different experience and you could use it to share the gospel and right there I, I was thinking about that and and oftentimes I, I mean with the prophet joseph you know i think he's wrestling with these things why does a presbyterian say this why does the baptist say and they're both supposed to be good things they're both coming from the same scriptures why are they opposing why does this that and you know in verse 10 and uh, it says in the midst of this war of words in tumult of opinions i often said to myself what is to be done who of all these parties are right or are they all wrong together if any one of them be right what which is it and how shall i know it i think we can all relate to that because there's when we find um contradicting opinions about anything you know What's the best dishwashing soap to buy? You know, and you'll have, uh, you'll have, turn on the TV. Almost all the advertisements are something like, you should buy our car because our car is better than that car. And you should know, you should buy our car. Our car is better. And we have more mile, and we have a better bumper to bumper. And we want more JD Power Words. And we, you know, and it's like, and we live in that world where ideas and things, and, and to some point is like, what is your purpose? Do you need transportation with this? You know, and then in some, in a little bit with our souls we can ask the same question what what are we after are we after to vindicate ourselves and vindicate our actions are we after to be able to judge others are we after to feeling superior are we after wanting to know the welfare of our soul and what happens to us and what this is all about are, are we after to prove our parents wrong they keep telling us this i can't believe it you know, like we have to really dig deep and think for ourselves, like, what are we after? What do we want to know? And and to know that the first vision occurred, that Joseph Smith was a prophet, that the Book of Mormon is the keystone of our religion. It begins a cascade, like an avalanche effect of like, if all of these things, then Christ is the Christ of all the earth. And there is a plan of salvation. We aren't dumped here by happenstance, and it isn't up to the the age of revelation is over, and it's up to everybody to 
to figure out the best they can do. No. We have prophets. We have apostles. They have been given authority. And they are also held accountable to for what they say and they do. And, and that's why most of the time they tell us things that aren't necessarily popular, you know? Yeah. I think the other key thing about what he did during this investigation part is he tried something new. He tried something he'd never done before. By going into that grove and kneeling down and praying, he, he says it in verse 14, um, it was the first time in my life that I had made such an attempt. For amidst all my anxieties, I had never as yet made the attempt to pray vocally. He'd done a lot of other stuff. He'd been to things. He'd probably talked to a lot of preachers. He'd studied and prayed to himself. But he'd tried something new he'd never done before. And I think a lot of times we also fall into the, the rut of this is how I get answers. This is how the Sunday school answers say I have to study, pray, ponder, you know. But maybe trying something outside the box, outside of your comfort zone, outside the norm will help you get an answer that you need. And gosh, it sure worked for him. Kind of moving into that section of the vision itself, as soon as he starts to pray, he gets attacked by darkness, by evil. And every time I think of that, I think that when the adversary becomes directly involved in our efforts to stop us, uh, that's when we should recognize what we're doing is important and right. Because <laughs> he will do anything he can at that moment to hinder us and to hold us back. Not all opposition is the adversary, but we need to pay attention to where those barriers to our answers are coming from. And we need to pay attention, is this me just not doing enough or am I being impeded somehow? And how do I overcome that? How do I work through that? Yeah, I think also... As we as we make covenants or as we make major decisions in our lives, like whom we marry, where we marry, you know, just big decisions, we can sometimes feel like 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 there's turmoil all of a sudden. Like, you know, there's extra stress and there's extra things. And it's almost like when Brigham Young says, the saints cannot begin to build a temple without hearing the bells of hell, you know, loose, you know. And he's like, I'd like to hear them again, you know. And, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing where there's opposition, and in, in, uh, especially when you're going to make a good decision. And that's not to say we need to be scared or we need to be hesitant or, you know. But I think the lesson is there's discomfort in doing new things. But that passes. And then, trying anything new and anything worthwhile will take us out of our comfort zone. And you have to be persistent. I, I really like but, um, when he says in verse 16, but exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy. And it's interesting because he's trying for the first time ever in, at the end of verse 14 to pray vocally. In the middle of verse 15, it tells us that it was such an astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue so I could not speak. Yeah. And if there's a part of me that I'm like, I put myself in that situation and I'm like, what would I complain about? I would say, well, I'm about to pray vocally for the first time. <laughs> and lo and behold, I can't use my tongue. Yeah. You know, what's that all about? But... <laughs> In verse 16, you know, and it says, exerting all his power to call upon God and deliver me from this enemy which has seized upon me. And at the very moment that I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction, not at an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world who had such marvelous power as I had never felt in any being, just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light. It's it's very similar to the apostles when they're sleeping on the boat with the Savior and the storm comes and it's the 11th hour and, and they've felt the storm gradually getting worse and getting worse and up to the point where they're like, we are fearing for a life. The boat's going to capsize. 
carest thou not that we perish? Yeah. yeah. Then the sea is calmed. I feel like there's a part in our experience here on earth where we need to feel a little bit what despair is like. Well, it's, why, sure. the, it's why the fall happened. I mean, we could have lived in a, in a state of just Bliss. tranquility and whatever, but you need to know pain. You need to know sorrow. You need to know despair so that you can appreciate and truly feel what joy is and happiness and health. Without those negative things, you would never know what being happy is like. And vice versa. The happier you are, the more you can understand what pain can be like. And that's part of this experience. So that when we someday eventually earn our exaltation, we'll, we'll appreciate that. And we'll see the peace and joy that exists there. So as, as the father and son appear to him, the first things that they say to them, the father gestures to the son and said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And it got me thinking about how President Nelson uh, last year gave us the invitation to hear him. And it was this kind of campaign, how do you hear him? Um, and you kind of saw the, the apostles put out videos, this is how I hear him, kind of encouraging us to think about what do we do so that we can, that it's not just a passive thing, you just sit there and listen, that you, uh, it's an action verb, you know, to go out and hear him. And what are we doing to do that? And it wasn't just like, hey, Joseph, sit there and listen up. You know, we're going to tell you how it is. It was an, a participatory thing. You are hearing what we're talking about. You are communing with us at this time. And I think, are we are we actively hearing our Heavenly Father? Are we trying to reach out to him the, so that he can reach out to us? Or are we just sitting around waiting to listen to what he's got to say? No, we need to be reaching out. This is this is a two-way street, right? We reach out to him, he gives us answers, and that then we then we'll understand and hear what he's actually getting at. The next part, I mean, he talks about that he saw two personages, which glory defiled description. They're calling him by name into the other, so the father introduces the son. And in verse 18, I find very interesting. My object in going to inquire of the Lord was to know which of the sects was right, that I might know which to join. No sooner, therefore, did I get possession of myself so as to be able to speak than I asked the personages who stood above me in the light which of all the sects was right. For at this time I had never entered into my heart that they were all wrong and which I should join. I really like that because... <laughs> I uh, I find myself often that when I inquire of the Lord, when I'm sincere, I find that my question changes. My initial question was most of the time not the right question to ask, or it doesn't match the answer. Mm. And, and finding what is the right question. And so his answer was I must join none of them, for they were all wrong. And so now the now it changes. He he now is is given this answer that he he wasn't expecting. And then in verse 19, continuing there it says, and the personages who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, for those professors were all corrupt, that they draw near unto me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They teach for doctrine the commandments of man, having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. He again forbade me to join any of them, and many other things did he say unto me, which I cannot write at this time. When I came to myself again, I found myself lying on my back, looking up into heaven. When the light had departed, I had no strength. But soon recovering in some degree, I went home. I, I find it really interesting because he was definitely told other things, but he can't share it with us or whatever. But he went in there and just as we learn that the Lord acts line upon line, we're seeing that in a very real way unfold with Joseph, where he's given this much. And then gets a little bit more. You know, he he didn't leave the grove thinking, okay, 
here's what we're going to do. We're going to have to go to his, we're going to have going to start building temples, uh, baptisms for the dead. And then, and then, and the Olympics will come back to Utah at this time. And, you know, he, <laughs> it wasn't anything like that. And I think that's, if we learn something, something to consider is that in our lives, we may not know where everything takes us. You know what I mean? We have a pretty good idea. We want to go to school. You want to get married. You want to have kids. You want to someday, you know, retire and you want to live in the Caribbean and eat salsa. <laughs> but rarely does it fold out like that. Here it's not told, Joseph, you will have tons of friends betray you to the point where you'll end up dead falling from a jail cell window. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But we live as if we want, like, what's it called? Like, a whole prophecy of our entire lives and what everything. So, which, to me, just with the Book of Mormon prophets, they were also given line upon line. They weren't told everything. They were told enough. And that's very comforting how the Lord works with his prophets because it's also how he will work with you. He'll give you information. He'll tell you enough. And then as you act on that and as you master that new principle, you'll get a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, It's very common for us to want to go from A to B as quickly as possible. And we forget that in the journey is when all the growth occurs. And that and that's where we're at. We're in we're in a very small period of time in our existence. But it is in this journey where a lot of growth occurs that is very important for us. I think what impressed me the most about him during this vision, I don't know. I tend to think that if I said a prayer and all of a sudden this happened. I would have a hard time remembering what the heck I was there to do. I'd be like, what is going on? I I don't know that I'd be like immediately like, hey, which church should I join? Suddenly that would seem kind of like, I I had a question, but you just tell me whatever you want me to know, you know? (laughs) And I think it was impressive to me that he immediately asked the question. He stuck to this. It was so sincere that it wasn't like, oh, well, now that you're here, uh, you know, I could be a little taller. That'd be nice, you know, or something like that. No, it was three wishes. <laughs> yeah, it was. It wasn't like that. He was so sincere in wanting to know that that as soon as he got the chance to ask, that's the first thing he did. And yeah, he probably got other information here and there. We don't know how long this took. We don't know what all was said, but he came out of it with an answer. That you shouldn't join any of them and probably a promise that more will come. It's interesting to me, you know, as we move into the last section of kind of the aftermath of this vision. In verse 20, he says, it seems as though the adversary was aware at a very early period of my life that I was destined to prove a disturber and annoyer of his kingdom. And I found that really interesting because he recognized that the reason why I'm facing so much persecution over this, as I start kind of telling people about it, is because the adversary is working against me still. And from from very early on, he knew that I was not going to be uh, easy to deal with, that I was going to be stalwart in my beliefs and in my convictions. And, you know, I hope that we can be like that, too. I would like to be a disturber and an annoyer of the kingdom of the adversary, too. I'd like to be somebody that just, I'm not going to let you have it easy. I'm going to be standing for truth whenever I can, so that Whenever he tries to to be negative or bring people down, that I'm counteracting that, you know, and I I, I think that that's just a really good example for all of us. And it's something I think that all of us can try to do is work counter to the adversary whenever possible, you know, and it's simple stuff. It's ministering. It's growing and strengthening our testimonies. It's all of that that just is a way to, to work against his kingdom. Yeah, I think also... Joseph was very innocent, uh, without guile, because in this next section, he goes to one of his Methodist preachers, who was someone he had talked to before quite a bit, and he recounts the story to him, and 
right away he dismisses it as something from the devil. Yeah. You know that you. It's it's interesting. I find it interesting how people can believe in the devil and in evil and in ghosts and whatever much easier than they can believe in good. You know. <laughs> anyway. Well, these guys saw him as a threat, right? Yeah. He comes and says, "Hey, uh, I had a vision where I saw God the Father and Jesus Christ, and they told me this." And these guys are like, "What?" Don't no, I need to immediately discredit this because it threatens my standing. I've never had an experience like that. And I can't I just have to well, make it look like this is a foolish boy. I get the feeling that he felt so happy for his question and his yeah. answer that he thought others would be just as fascinated and as interested. That they too were searching for the truth. You know what I mean? And in verse twenty two he says, I soon found, however, that my re- my telling of the story had excited a great deal of prejudice against me among the professors of religion and was the cause of great persecution, which continued to increase. And though I was an obscure boy, only between 14 and 15 years of age, and my circumstances in life such as to make a boy of no consequence in the world, <laughs> yet men of high standing would take notice sufficient to excite the public mind against me. And create a bitter persecution. And this was common among all the sects that united to persecute me. And I find that <laughs> interesting. Because he even himself says, I am kind of a nobody. And yeah. just the telling of this tale gets these people who I, who are like socially held at such a high standard. To spend so much energy, hate, and whatever to discredit me. You know? And, and that's the thing that's fascinating because i think that that's not dead nowadays you know what i mean definitely and i think that what we learn from that is that even after you get an answer from god the adversary's work isn't done like he's still going to work against you and you see in in verse 23 it caused me serious reflection then and as often since how very strange it was an obscure boy of little over 14 years of age and one, too, who is doomed to the necessity of obtaining a scanty maintenance by his daily labor should be thought a character of sufficient importance to attract the attention of the great ones of the most popular sects of the day, and in a manner to create in them a spirit of the most bitter persecution and, and reviling. But stranger not, so it was, and it was often the cause of great sorrow to myself. It made him feel terrible. But then you read 24. However, it was never less a fact that I had beheld a vision. And I think for me, I'm like, if you have the the privilege of receiving the blessing of receiving a revelation from God, maybe not a vision, right? But maybe it's just an answer to a prayer. No matter what comes, don't deny that. No matter what somebody says to you, oh, you know what? Maybe it's just your thoughts. Maybe you just it's, believed it into being truth. Don't ever Take that for granted. That's a gift from God to receive a, a revelation like that. Well, it's also very similar to your testimony. You'll have moments when you'll feel without a doubt that the church is true, that the scriptures are true, that Christ lives, you know. And as time goes by, you'll have all sorts of other voices that'll try to convince you and tell you and rationally and scholarly and whatever from the most steamed social standing and the most educated and whatever, will find reasons to attack religion, to attack revelation, to attack our existence, our meaning of life, our purpose for life, you know? It's like, it's kind of like you said, the, the, the answer came, but he still had to go through all these things, you know? Yep. It, it wasn't, uh, here's the answer, smooth sailing. It's almost like Nephi. The answer comes, you still need to wander the desert, build a boat, cross the seas, split away from your brothers, have some wars, and ultimately die. <laughs> you know, Or the brother of Jared, hey, we saw the finger of God. He made the little stones glow. We now have light. You still need to get in the ship, and you actually have to sail. To the prom- to the new promised land, right? I don't know if if it's just human nature or it's 
or it's the time we live in when we see stories play out in books and in movies from beginning to end and and we like there's an arc a story arc where it builds up and there's a climax and a resolution and a happy ending right and we see that happen so quickly but we don't take into account that there's quite a bit of effort quite a bit of work that happens in all of these things and it's true on, of all aspects of life. If you want to learn a new trade, you want to learn a new profession, you want to learn a skill, a talent, develop something, learn a new language, whatever, there's going to be a time when you're going to just be grinding away and working consistently. And then you have spurts of improvement, and then it's time to keep working and working, and then a little bit more and a little bit more and so on and so forth. But but I, I mean, this this is incredible that someone so young could be so faithful and honest in their seeking of truth. But, but last week, this uh, section, we were talking about the weak and simple things, right? Yeah. And I'll repeat it one more time. President Joseph Fielding Smith, he says... The Lord called Joseph Smith and other from among the weak things of the world because he and his associates were contrite and humble. The great and mighty ones in the nations the Lord could not use because of their pride and self-righteousness. The Lord's ways are not man's ways, and he cannot choose those who in their own judgment are too wise to be taught. Therefore, he chooses those who are willing to be taught and he makes them mighty even to the breaking down of the great and mighty. When we think of our missionary system, we can see how the weak have gone forth from among the strong ones and have prevailed. The mighty and the strong ones have been broken down by the humble elders of the church. And I, I think that's really interesting because he, like he said, he's just... I am a boy of no consequence in the world. <laughs> yeah, he, he was fully aware of the fact that he was one of these small and simple things. But I think verse 25, for me, that's like, it's not only a testimony from Joseph Smith, but it's also, in many ways, a, a call to arms for us. And it says, I had actually seen a light, and in the midst of that light, I saw two personages, and they did in reality speak to me. And though I was hated and persecuted for saying that I had seen a vision, yet it was true. And while they were persecuting me, reviling me, and speaking all manner of evil against me falsely for so saying, I was led to say in my heart, why persecute me for telling the truth? I have actually seen a vision. And who am I that I can withstand God? Or why does the world think to make me deny what I have actually seen? For I had seen a vision. I knew it, and I knew God knew it, and I could not deny it. Neither dared I do it, at least I knew that by doing, by so doing, I would offend God and come under, under condemnation. Basically, what that means to me, every time I have a moment where I've felt the Spirit testify something being true to me, I have to, I can't take that for granted. I have to look at that and say, okay, he knows I felt that. I know I felt that. I can't deny that. And even though I'm going to have doubts, and even though people might say, yeah, but yeah, but what about this? What about that? What about the other? There are certain things which I know I have received a, a, an undeniable testimony of. And I can't deny that. No matter what. And I, I haven't seen God, the Father, and Jesus Christ, but I have received a testimony of certain things. And if I say, if I turn my back on that because of one or two other things that I can't explain, that I haven't received a testimony of yet, then I'm denying truth. Yeah. Do you think it's a little bit like the talents? Um, I'm pretty sure the talents come up in every episode. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> like, like we're asked to multiply them. We're asked yeah. to seek more. We're asked, if you're only given one, make two out of it. But I think often we, we think, oh, we know this, but I'm not going to, I'm going to bury it, you know. And we, we, we you know, I, I, I like this, the second to last paragraph of the Restoration Proclamation. And it says, uh, we gladly declare that the promised restoration goes forward through continuing revelation. 
the earth will never again be the same as God will gather together in one all things. And then it keeps going and it's pretty awesome. I, I think it, you know, we we should we should all take the time to read this again. It's just one page, it's not very long. But I, I find it that this moment, as important as it was for Joseph Smith, is so important for all of us. It's the culmination of all of the promises that have been given to all these prophets about the fullness of the dispensation, the, the dispensation of fullness of times. In this event, God shows that he's the same today, tomorrow, and forever, right? Yep. He shows that his prophecies will be fulfilled. And it begins to usher in the fullness of times. And, and as happy as Joseph is, I'm sure there's many, and we too can be happy. Um, because now that the heavens are open, we're going to see that there's so much changes, so much advice. So, so, so different is the way of the Lord doing things than what we think it is, right? And in one of my favorite quotes, I don't know from whom, but it oh but I have it in one of my other scriptures. It just says, The Lord's not interested in our abilities, he's interested in our availability. And I kind of feel like as Joseph goes back to these reverend and these preachers, they're so busy thinking they know. They're so busy heading down their road. And I'm sure these aren't evil people. And we're gonna find out that there's many. We'll find whole congregations of in, in Europe and in other places who join and uh, realize. And it all comes down to wherever you're at, I think the Lord's not asking you to, to with one bound, get all the way to the tree of life. <laughs> he understands that we all reach that point at a different time. And that's okay. With what you know, ask yourself, what can I build on what I know? What what can I, how can I, how can I, or even how can I remember what I used to know? How can I feel again what I used to feel? And in that reassurance, if we take the example of Joseph and we're willing, I'm going with this question, but whatever you say, I'll do it. And if and if we we have to examine and we have to study it out in ourselves and in, and be really honest, then we'll we'll find in a way our own answer. Let us be awake and not be wary of well doing, for we are laying the foundation of a great work, even preparing for the return of the Savior. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.